Lunch with Pippa Hudson. And now, Consumer Talk featuring Wendy Nola. Great to have Wendy back with us in studio, our consumer journalist who tackles all manner of challenges that our listeners bring her way. Today, it's a really important one, though. You know, sometimes the things we talk about are are irritations, but this is really, literally, in some cases, a matter of life and death today. We're talking about medical claims for patients who suffer from rare diseases and what happens if that um, funding is turned down by a medical scheme and they try to utilize the right that is available to them to appeal to the Council for Medical Schemes. Uh, we have an organization representing people with rare diseases flagging the fact that it is taking far, far too long to see that appeal process through and the result is that patients are literally at risk of dying while they wait. So a very serious subject for us to start with. We are going to make some space for open line calls as well in the second half hour. So if you would like to flag an issue, call us on 021-446-0567 or you can send a voice note to 072-567-1567. Now, Wendy, earlier this month, both of us received an email from the patient advocacy group Rare Diseases South Africa. Um, They, as I said in the introduction, offer support to but also lobby on behalf of patients whose medical conditions are uncommon. And quite often require very specialized and very expensive treatment and medication. And the statement they sent out expresses outrage and deep concern over what they've characterized as abuse and widespread abuse at that on the part of medical schemes. Effectively, they're saying that when medical aids refuse to cover a patient's expenses, the appeal process that is legally meant to be available to that patient is being drawn out so long as to make it almost pointless, Wendy. Exactly. So that statement came from (coughs) Kelly Duplessis, who is the founder and CEO of Rare Diseases South Africa. And this is what she wrote. Medical aids are taking advantage of the inefficient and poorly capacitated appeals process facilitated by the Council for Medical Schemes. Now, they're the regulator for, for the medical schemes industry as a delay tactic to avoid funding life-saving treatment for patients with rare diseases. That is a pretty serious allegation, yes. The organization recently launched its Dear Minister of Health campaign, which aims, among other things, to give patients and healthcare users a voice when it comes to the shortcomings of the private healthcare system in South Africa. Kelly says the problem is that only people who've gone through the process will understand. As a general user of healthcare, you have no idea until one day you need to use the process and find out, and then possibly it's too late. Patients can wait for years to receive payment from the medical aid for treatment of a rare disease without treatment, which is unaffordable during that wait. The conditions of the condition of patients deteriorates to the point where some die or cannot be treated. So as you say, Pippa, a very, very serious matter indeed. And we have Kelly Duplessis on the line with us who who wrote that statement. Kelly, again, the founder and CEO of Rare Diseases South Africa. Kelly, thank you very much for joining us and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me today. Before we talk about the appeal process, Kelly, how many patients on your database are in the position of having their medical aids regularly declined to cover their treatment and medications? Does it happen to just a handful of people or is it dozens or maybe more? No, it, it is it is quite a significant po- uh, proportion. So taking into taking into account how many patients actually have a treatment available. So obviously in the rare disease space, only five percent of rare disease patients have a commercial treatment. Okay. So, sure. but over that five percent, we see this issue often. Um, many times, obviously, there are other issues at stake, such as the lack of lack of awareness, lack of data, 
lack of appropriate clinical trials, etc., because of the rarity of these conditions. Yeah. But we find that this issue crops up a lot when it comes to the more expensive and innovative therapies. Then we, we see, you know, this process get dragged out for lengthy periods of time, obviously because it's a cost-saving mechanism for the scheme. And would you say all of the different uh, various medical schemes are, I mean, you, you're saying that it's deliberate in your statement. Um, would you point the finger at all of them or is there any one in particular that you think is a problem? So I, I would say that we've had experiences with nearly, the, with nearly all of them or all the administrators. Um, we do find that there are certain schemes or certain administrators that do this process quite regularly. But I think, you know, our reason for saying that it is an abusive process is the fact that very often uh, when we get to an appeal and on the day that the appeal is due to be heard, sometimes this is only three years down the line, then the scheme withdraws. And there's been no material change to their benefit design, to their exclusion process, to the patient, you know, to their ability to access this product. There's been no material change. So in the event that the scheme was absolutely affirmed with the fact that they were doing right and it was according to their decisions, why wait the two years for an appeal date and then withdraw on the day? Yeah, it seems to suggest that they held out. Um, yeah, held out till the very last minute, and then before they had to go and explain themselves, uh, capitulated. Um, I mean, a patient who is in the position of having the medical scheme re- refused to cover uh, their their treatment. Again, the system exists in place. They are legally entitled to lodge a complaint with the regulator, the Council for Medical Schemes. In your experience, Kelly, how often do, does that appeal process result in, in the finding being overturned and the scheme being ordered to pay? Well, generally speaking, um, our complaints are ruled in our favour as well. It's the scheme that lodges the appeal. So, you know, they, they will decline a patient and once you've gone through their internal disputes, you'll lodge a complaint with Council for Medical Schemes, who 95% of the time will rule in our favour. And then the scheme makes the decision to appeal Council's ruling and then the, that complaints ruling decision is upheld while it's suspended, while you wait for that appeals process. So if the medications call it a million rand a year, um, and the scheme waits, you know, that that process takes two and a half years. The schemes have saved themselves two and a half million rand. You might, um, sorry to cut in there, Kelly. You might remember Pippa and the listeners. We had we covered that case, I think it was pre-COVID, 2019, I think, of the father whose daughter was born out of wedlock but had a right to be on, on his scheme. On his medical aid, yes. Um, they, um, they denied it initially and then put all sorts of um, restrictions. Restriction. Remember yes. that. And he appealed... Um, well, he went to the CMS and was ruled in his favour very, um, a very strongly strong word worded. Really, do you remember? remember that, yes. And then they, they were, the um, medical scheme concerned lodged an appeal, which has still not been heard. No. Yeah. So this Three is exactly. Later. It's not about yeah. a rare disease, but it's about the um, abuse of the appeals system. Okay. So yeah, go. And that's exactly that is exactly the problem. That is exactly what we're trying to alleviate. And the issue comes in is that Council for Medical Schemes is defence is that they're undercapacitated, that their appeals board only meets every second month, and that they're doing the best they can. And our question is to the minister to say, well, hold on a second. This is the prescribed process that you as the minister have set out for us in the Medical Schemes Act. It's not fit for purpose. Mm. It either needs an overhaul of the system or you need to provide the Council for Medical Schemes with whatever resources are necessary for them to be able to effectively 
rule on these decisions mm. in a reasonable time frame. We've had patients lose their ability to walk and talk. We've yeah. had patients die waiting for a ruling, waiting for their day, you know, their day to be heard. Just to to recap, our guest on the line is Kelly Duplessis of Rare Diseases South Africa. And we're talking here about what happens when a patient's medical aid has refused to cover their treatment. The patient has appealed to the Council for Medical Schemes to reconsider and force the medical aid to pay. But that appeal process is drawn out so long that in the interim, the patient is suffering, in some cases, irreparable harm and deterioration of their condition. Um, A WhatsApp already in from somebody saying, I couldn't agree more with your guest. The CMS took a while and eventually ruled in our favor, but Bonitas took 12 months to pay us. Uh, Disgraceful is the comment from Anonymous on the WhatsApp line. Andrew writing to say, my wife has ankylosing spondylitis and the medical aids don't cover the meds or the checkups, which are expensive. They only cover rheumatoid arthritis because that's on the prescribed minimum benefits list. I used to belong to a medical aid that did cover it, but they just stopped and wouldn't continue. I mean, Kelly, there are many, many hurdles that people living with a rare condition have got to to jump over to be able to access the treatment. And you've told us a couple, such as the fact that in many cases the treatments may be brand new and um, not have the sort of the backlog of data that um, a a longer-lasting medication might have, for example. You've then mentioned the under-resourcing of the Council for Medical Schemes. You have flagged in this campaign not just the fact that its system is not working as it's designed to work right now, but you're very worried about what potentially happens if the national health insurance kicks in because this this procedure is meant to be replicated to include the NHI as well, not so. That is correct. Yeah, it's the same process that's detailed out in the NHI at the papers, you know, the, the um, drafts that are in circulation at the moment. And we're saying, hold on, if we can't get it right for 16% of the population that's generally better capacitated than the public sector, how on earth is the same process going to take, you know, the same process going to be functional for 100% of the population where you don't necessarily have the same access to tools and resources as that private medical scheme members have access to today. And, oh. you know, and this, is, and this is why we say you don't know until you know. You, this Talk is not a question that you think to ask when you join a medical scheme because it's, it's, it's a foreign concept. Yeah. You only know that this is actually a problem when you've had to go through it and you've been on the other side, you know, denied treatment for months and months and years on end. Um, and exactly like the, the, the WhatsApp that came through, what is the penalty to the schemes who don't comply? Very little. Yeah. Yeah. And the penalty to the, to the patient is loss of function and potentially loss of life. Uh, yeah. How can that be right? So, yeah. so Kelly, you've um, spoken about what's very wrong with the situation. What then is the solution? What are you campaigning for to happen to, to um, put this right? And how, who are you engaging with so, as an organization? So first kind of step for our process was to understand, because whilst we see this often in the rare disease space, we wanted to make, you know, be assured of the fact that it's not just our community. And it is very, very apparent that it isn't. So we we launched this campaign site asking people to share their stories. Tell us what issues you've had in terms of accessing healthcare on a day-to-day basis. And there's been lots of common threads about the same sort of thing. Then our next step was to engage with Council for Medical Schemes, which we have done. Um, we have sent mails. They have confirmed that they have had a 56-day reduction in their complaints process. Hmm. So the initial complaints process used to be 120 working days. Yeah. It's now been reduced to 120 days, which is a 56-day reduction and is a great start. Yes. But the appeals process, which is where all the expensive 
and complicated things go is unfortunately not mandated in the Act. And now the next step is to address the minister on on either changing, you know, putting forward regulations that amend this so that there are dictated turnaround times that have to be stuck to, or alternatively, then they've got to do better in terms of providing the resources to have the appeals board meet more frequently. Every second month is just, I mean, it's absolutely mind-blowing. That allows them to see, what, maybe 30 cases a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about the pharmaceutical industry? They play a very big role in all of this, pr- providing the, the necessary drugs. Do you have their support? What sort of, um, uh, how, how do you hold hands with them in all of this? So I think as a, they are obviously an engaged stakeholder. I think that they're very vested in the outcomes, but we are certainly not embarking on this as, as a favor to um, the pharmaceutical companies. We agree that there's certain things that they need to be able to do too in terms of, you know, pricing, in terms of what price they list their products at, in terms of, you know, coming to the party as well to some extent. And we engage with them on a regular basis around the issues where we feel they need to do better. But the reality is, is that, you know, our, our healthcare laws regulate that you cannot have a price of a drug listed and then sell it for something cheaper. So their hands are also mm-hmm. relatively tied in terms of what they are available to do. And their kind of view is, if we are given certainty that all the patients that are diagnosed in the country with this disease will get funding, will be able to get treatment, we will then be able to give a better price across the country. But the problem is the medical aid don't want to stick they don't want to, you know, create that funding benefits on that funding certainty. So it's a catch twenty two. Everyone's making waiting for someone else to make the first move. Mm. And all the while that's happening and those discussions are taking place, people on the ground are getting sicker and, you know, simply just being left to fend for themselves. It's a very sobering state of affairs. Our guest on the line, Kelly Duplessis, the CEO of Rare Diseases South Africa. If you are a patient yourself or a family who've had experience of the kind of obstacles uh, to treatment that Kelly's been describing, having a medical aid, decline funding for a treatment, taking that on appeal to the Council for Medical Schemes and then waiting and waiting and waiting for the case to be resolved. We do have a response from the Council of Medical Schemes because, Wendy, I know you reached out to them and... um, we're almost at news time. I don't know if you want to sketch a couple of the key points and okay. we can carry on after sure. after 2.30. And Kelly, I'm sure you'd like to listen in to what they said. So please stay with us on the line. I'm quite relieved to have got it, actually, because I emailed them and then emailed them again. And um, <coughs> I was losing hope and the response came in... Uh, just in the nick of time. Yeah. Just in the nick of time. And and it's, it's very long. Let's try and pick out the important bits. Uh, the CMS is mandated to protect the interests of medical scheme beneficiaries at all times and as such it is quite concerned about the long turnaround times and the implication for members health and to counter this the appeals committee has increased its sittings I don't know if Kelly is aware of that or whether that's it's they increased it to every second month Kelly is the every second month an improvement on what used to be the case do you know I think it's an improvement from every third month now wow. to every oh, second wow. month. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, it's not really groundbreaking. It's nowhere, no, nowhere near no. good enough. Okay, yeah. thanks. Okay. I'm glad we kept you on the line. Uh, the CMS statement continues. According to our internal standard operating procedure, appeals should take 90 days from when the member or the medical scheme appeals after the complaints process has been completed. Despite this, the CMS tries its best to expedite rare disease cases as soon as they are received. 
Well, 90 days. Um, three months, that's a that's, long... I mean, we're sitting with cases that... One not one case that we were very involved with is now into the th- three years. Yes, yeah. Um, so, Kelly, there is, a, there is a turnaround time that's stipulated, but clearly it's not being adhered to. Is that the case? Uh, look, I've, I, I've literally never had a case here heard in 90 days ever. <laughs> the, the appeal time frame, the time that you've got to lodge your appeal is certainly mandated. We've got a case that's only been, we had to send legal letter for it to be set down, which has been set down at the end of this month. 714 days wow. and counting. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So Already nearly two years. Yeah. And uh, as you said, to just again, to reiterate what that means in practical terms, that can be a massive decline in health, in quality of life, in independence, in mobility. For someone who can't afford the drugs. The ability to be able to have successful treatment, because sometimes in that two-year period, you, you're put beyond the point of being able to help at all, which is, that that's the reality of what we're talking about. Kelly, I think stay with us on the line, please. After the Eyewitness News, we'll come back. There is more to the Council for Medical Schemes response that we'd like to share with you. I'm also happy to take some listener calls and voice notes. Our conversation about the Council for Medical Schemes and the appeal processes that just take too long continues. Kelly Duplessis is still with us on the line from Rare Diseases South Africa. And Wendy, before the break, you were sharing with us the response from the Council for yes. Medical Schemes. You you engaged with them. You said, you know, this is what Rare Diseases has said. This Please is what respond. the impact. Please give us your response. Yes. What so else did they say? With specific reference to, to rare diseases, the CMS says, we note the growing concern over the treatment of rare diseases and we're handling the issue with the seriousness it deserves. In addition to uh, engaging with these concerned individuals and stakeholders, Kelly, I think that's you, a comprehensive statement position and additional CMS script on the subject will be issued. I think that's what they call a sort of a press release. Yeah. Will be subject on the subject will be issued in due course. Um, they've said a rare, work, a rare disease working group meets monthly to pursue this cause and they've spelt out their objectives, the usual stuff. Ultimately, the submission on the status and funding of rare diseases will be made through the CMS to the National Department of Health for approval to improve access to treatment of these rare diseases for all South Africans as part of the PMB review process. So to the listener that phoned in and said that his wife's treat, uh, condition was not on the list, there's a little glimmer of hope there and they've said um, uh, CMS has accepted arrangements where patients are managed by state central hospitals and private service providers these arrangements are subject to the terms negotiated case by case and are acceptable on merit the member therefore might end up with a combination of private and public health care services where necessary and that in some cases there are special clinics for special clinics for these rare diseases in a few tertiary uh, hospitals with a private section for medical scheme patients paid by the scheme up front. This might not be available in all provinces. I hope I've done the very long press release uh, justice. justice. In, the, in the praising there. I mean, Kelly, would you like to respond to anything else that you've just heard Wendy mentioned from that release? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm grateful that they have responded. The scripts and circulars, I, I mean, we've had previous circulars issued that left me with great hope only for the medical schemes to turn around and say that they're not binding. Mm. So, I mean, it it makes, they make quite clear their position on certain issues that we've, I mean, we've, you know, debated ad nauseum. And um, the medical schemes are just of the view that, you know, it's not worth the paper that it's written on and it's merely a guideline and they're under no obligation to follow it. So, and, you know, it comes back to herein lies the problem. Um, 
at what point does, where does the buck actually stop? Um, you know, and I, I'm very, very grateful to hear that they are planning the, the rare disease accession initiative that they refer to the monthly meetings. We are part of that. Yeah. We were one of the conveners of that meeting initially, of that group initially. It's very encouraging to see that they are wanting to put recommendations forward for the national department. But I can't stress the urgency in terms of them actually doing that. In terms of the campaign that you've launched to try and communicate the urgency, Kelly, dear sir, dear Minister of Health, uh, what sort of traction has, has that campaign got and have you had any response from the Minister of Health? So we haven't had any response from the Minister of Health as yet. Um, we do follow up regularly on that. We, I mean, we understand that we've just come out of a pandemic and that resources have been, you know, thin and they've obviously had a lot of their own internal issues. Um, in terms of staffing, etc., but we do follow up regularly. But I think what has happened is that consumers have become a lot more aware. They're starting to ask the right questions in terms of what does my medical aid provide? What would happen if it were me? And I think that that, that makes a big difference in terms of holding council, uh, you know, medical schemes accountable to their members. So I think that that's been a good thing that has taken place in terms of raising the awareness around what the issues are and holding your, your relevant schemes accountable. And then I think also it's given us a lot of insight into just how far the issue runs because our filter is always only obviously rare diseases. Yeah. So we've started to see that there's a lot of commonalities with many of the more you know more common stuff. Surgeries, spinal surgeries has come up quite a bit, treatment of epilepsy, CP, those sorts of things. And um, I think being able to better understand it reaffirms our position that we are absolutely doing the right thing despite the fact that I don't think we're very popular with a lot of people at the moment because of the amount of you know the talking that we're doing but you kind of also know that when you're not popular that's generally when you're doing the right thing <laughs> well I'll keep absolutely. that in mind <laughs> okay um Yes, I wanted to say um, we definitely want to check back with you on this issue in the months to come. And I think um, tell some of those stories, obviously anonymously, but some of those stories um, where people have, as you said, lost the the ability to walk, talk, lost their lives while waiting for the appeal to happen. I think making that, you know, putting faces and uh, to, to this Humanizing issue, the problem. Humanizing yeah. it, I think, is the way to go. And, and, and we'd like to, to be a part of that. Um, so we'll be in touch. Absolutely. Thanks. I can't wait. Thank you so much for joining us today. Kelly Duplessis, uh, CEO and founder of Rare Diseases South Africa. Now, Wendy didn't stop at asking the Council for Medical Schemes for uh, advice. She also sought another view from somebody within uh, the medical industry, Wendy, and uh, that was Mark Hyman. Yes, he's the founder and CEO of Medicheck, um, which is one of a few companies in this country, obviously there being this need um, for an interface between the patient and their doctor and the medical schemes to kind of step up and, and help get these claims settled. Um, and uh, I, I ran the statement from Red Diseases past him and asked for his comments. His initial comment was, this is a complex discussion and an extremely contentious issue. Um, so we're, we're well, let's let him explain yes. why, because he's with us on the line now, founder and CEO of Medicheck, Mark Hyman. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Victor, and good afternoon, Wendy, and to your listeners. Complex and extremely contentious. Would you like to expand on that a bit? Okay, so the complexity of the issue is that rare diseases and not all of the rare diseases are not necessarily listed um, in the 11,239 ICD-10 codes 
um, which are the coding system that determines a disease um, and whether it falls within the parameters of what is confirmed as a prescribed minimum uh, disease uh, as per government gazette. Um, so that's the first contentious issue, you know, what is and what isn't, uh, a re- you know, the why, why are these conditions not listed as rare diseases, yeah. uh, as PMB conditions, sorry, why are yeah. these rare diseases not listed as PME conditions? So that is contentious. And I think one has to understand that only this week, uh, despite the fact that uh, the Council for Medical Schemes had started a process of what's called a PMB review, um, the first stage of that um, has just been published. It was published uh, late on Monday afternoon. So there is a move towards uh, up dating those PME conditions that were originally set back in 2013. So, you know, the first review started only in 2015, we're now in 2022, and that is now starting to happen. Um, So I think that the work that is being done and I, I must compliment Kelly, and unfortunately I didn't hear her, her interview, uh, but on the work that she does um, and the fact that there is an understanding within the Council for Medical Schemes, within the Department of Health, that these reviews need to be constant and ongoing. Yeah. Mark, my understanding is that somebody who has got one of these rare conditions and really has to fight tooth and nail to get their medical schemes to recognize the treatments and the drugs, etc., a lot comes down to the, the drafting of a medical motivation that their, their, their healthcare practitioner helps put together to motivate to the scheme why it should be covered. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about the importance of that? Wendy, I think that's the critical element um, of the process of accessing uh, drugs, whether it be for rare diseases, whether it be for PMB conditions. Um, The key is in the drafting um, of a high quality uh, motivation to a medical scheme. Um, And I do believe, quite honestly, that medical schemes and the majority of them, they are the exceptions, the majority of them will apply their minds where a motivation is effectively um, written in terms of clinical data, not purely um, providing anecdotal data on drugs, uh, providing uh, information with regards to the actual realities of outcomes. Um, And unfortunately, and I think this is possibly one of the biggest problems lies, is in the fact that our medical professionals, our specialist physicians are very thin and they are very stretched in terms of the work that they're doing, the number of patients that they're seeing, particularly in um, extreme prescribed minimum benefit conditions, particularly in in terms of rare diseases. Um, And, you know, a two-page motivation to a medical aid from a medical specialist uh, will get a view, will be reviewed, will be looked at, um, but there is no depth in the actual motivation. Um, And I think that's where one of the problems lies. We as Medicheck do provide um, the, 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 the ability and the capability of actually writing on behalf of the member with the full approval and consent of the medical professionals um, together with um, our own medical professionals that we have involved in our, in our business um, 
together with the drug companies providing the most recent and relevant data um, that I once again stress is not anecdotal, but is actual outcomes based. Um, And that's where I believe to a large extent uh, the differences come in terms of making sure that medical aids actually pay for these particularly high cost and particularly um, uh, new drugs and innovative drugs that are coming into the into the market. Because just to does take that this, make sense? it does, yeah. Mark. And just to take us back to where we started this conversation, if that motivation is done well and thoroughly, and unquestionably you avoid having to end up in the appeal process, which then takes three years in some cases. So you circumvent that whole laborious process of having to appeal to the council and wait for their to, them to rule and potentially okay. have the so scheme report. I'm going to be very, very honest with you, Wendy um, and Peter. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and that is the fact that when a motivation is written to a medical scheme, it is written to the principal officer of the scheme. It is not written to a purely a clerical division that looks at conditions and medications. We write to the principal officer. Um, At the same time as doing that, um, we have taken a conscious decision that we copy the Registrar of Medical Schemes, the Mm -hmm. Compliance Department within um, the, the Council for Medical Schemes, so they are aware of the discussions that are already taking place directly with the scheme. So we have been able, fortunately, um, to circumvent um, the necessity in most instances of having to go to the council with these complaints. Those are the those are the cases that come to you, and speak, those are the cases so that which come is, to us. Yeah. Um, on that note, could you tell us about a recent case you dealt with earlier this month, in fact, which involved a seven-year-old hemophiliac? Um, patient, a young boy? Yes. Okay, so hemophilia is a prescribed minimum benefit. Um, There is a basic treatment guideline for uh, hemophiliacs, and that is uh, the infusion of factor eight. Hemophilia, of course, is a bleeding disease where you don't Mm -hmm. create clotting, um, and it is a very, very dangerous and life-threatening disease if not treated properly. So a child born with this disease seven years ago um, had been through all the processes of constant infusions, um, initially done through uh, uh, intravenous uh, infusions three times a week. Um, Eventually, uh, as the child grew older, um, the insertion of ports, which allows uh, the patient to be treated at home, which is a lot cheaper, um, where you can actually infuse directly at home. Uh, But these ports do tend to block. They tend to uh, um, get uh, uh, infected, uh, create septicemia. This child had been through three ports um, in in the last uh, four years, um, and eventually the port is removed. Uh, patient no longer has veins available to do infusions. Um, spends excessive days in hospital. Twenty um, second of April, um, a motivation is written by a practitioner, highly qualified, not denigrating in any way the the, the medical professional, uh, putting in uh, um, a a motivation to uh, the scheme, uh, the scheme declines. Um, What what was the motivation for, Mark? uh, The motivation is for a drug made uh, made in in, in the United States of America. Um, I'm not going to mention the name of the company who makes it, uh, but the drug is called Hemlibra, um, with 
proven uh, success, uh, no longer a requirement to intravenously infuse. Um, The child will have a subcutaneous injection um, ongoing. The first treatment started on Monday the 8th before Women's Day. Um, And we got the medical scheme within a period of about 10, maybe maximum 14 days to fund the first 1 million rand uh, of this treatment um, that was delivered to the patient's home. Uh, We got approval on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, A million rands of drug were delivered to the patient's home to be refrigerated by the the Saturday morning. And they were were, were injected on the Monday. Fantastic. I interrupted you. So you skipped out the part where presumably the medical professional's motivation didn't cut the mustard as far as the scheme was concerned and it was declined, which is when the family came to you. Is that correct? Okay, okay. correct. And so, you, you the motivation. And, and this, was... It wasn't the first decline. Um, initially, the, the medical professional, professional two years ago, um, not not advised the patient they were going to be doing a motivation. It wasn't done. Um, a first motivation was done a year later, declined. A second motivation was done in April of this year, um, and declined by the scheme. We got involved um, late July, early August, um, and by the eighth of August. We had uh, approval from the screen. Granted, it's coming out of ex gratia, but does that really matter? The patient is now being cared for. Yeah, yeah that is the bottom line. Mark, thank you very much. Mark Hyman, the founder and CEO of MediCheck. And if you, you, you are listening to this going, boy, I wish there was someone like that to help with my claim, uh, check out their med site, which is medicheck.net.za uh, if, if you would like to see the kind of services that they might be able to help you with. Wendy, a really important issue and obviously one that's nowhere near being resolved yet. But uh, um, I'll be interested to see whether the pressure and the publicity that's been garnered by the campaign that Red Diseases SA has started is going to see a change. For example, those every two months meetings becoming at least should be monthly, every two weeks maybe at least monthly yeah. to start with yeah interesting issue because on the one hand that whole appeals that, that the regulator and their um, lack of capacity to deal with the complaints and then from the other end at the beginning where um, the quality of the motivation is so Crucial. important yeah. so a professional able and this certainly in this one case that we heard about to present a, a, an argument so compelling so irrefutable that the medical scheme then has it's no choice. Pretty much has no choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's a sort of different side of the same issue, but let's hope by ventilating um, it in, on all sorts of platforms, such as this one, that there is some positive change. And uh, it's a story I certainly would like to, to follow to keep up tabs on. on. Absolutely. Cape yeah. Talk. Consumer Talk. Email Wendy on consumer at nola.co.za. Right, we've got time for just a couple of uh, open line questions before we say goodbye. So let's get straight to them. Wendy, a WhatsApp in from Marina who wants to know, is there any possibility of a return for a clothing item once you have worn it, but the fabric turns out to be of poor quality? I've worn the dress once. It creases so badly that I just can't wear it again. It's not linen or any natural fabric. The cash slip has already been thrown away. Marina, that last bit just negates any rights you would have had. Um, as we say so often on the show, you only have a right of return if the product you've bought proves to be defective or unfit uh, for purpose, not fit for purpose, within six months of purchase. Um, this is a bit of a gray area here because you're saying um, it's not fit for purpose and that it creases. And you've specifically said it's not natural, so it's not linen or cotton, which are known to crease. But um, 
it would be very difficult to prove that that is, given that so many garments do crease when you wear them, yeah. it would be very difficult to prove that that's defective rather than just a personal dislike of the look right. of the product. I would say, and certainly as I began with, with no proof of purchase, you've got no you right of return anyway. Yeah. yeah, so that's a bit of an iffy one. Sorry, because it's disappointing when something um, wears differently yeah. from what you expect. But calling it a defect, um, it's more of a personal bit of a choice stretch, issue. Yeah. Yeah. Bit of a stretch, Excuse the, the pun. pun. <laughs> yeah, sorry, okay. Uh, just a quick note before we tackle the next question. Um, we've had a couple of people phoning and reporting signal issues on the DSTV stream. Uh, we have checked in with Multi-Choice. They've confirmed it's not a signal issue on their end and that most likely the cause of the intermittent breaking up is the inclement weather in Cape Town today. Apologies for that. It's uh, uh, We have looked into it and been told it is not a signal quality issue on their end but rather weather-related interference. Do you remember you can listen to us in the app instead. You can listen to us on YouTube uh, or you can if you're in the Cape Town area, tune into good old 567 Medium Wave. So you have got other options. And last but not least, the website. You can go to capetalk.co.za and click on the Listen Now tab at the top of the screen. So there are lots of different options. Faye sent a WhatsApp, Wendy, saying, could you please advise? I'm not happy with a 15% handling fee. My recent trip to a hardware store where I returned a box of tiles that hadn't been opened for a credit um, okay, so she'd bought a box of tiles, realized it wasn't suitable, took it back unopened, and mm. after 10 days, including a weekend and public holiday. Her question is, are they allowed to charge me a 15% handling fee on that return? Yes, they are. You have no right of return because the tiles are not defective. So as consumers, we have rights and responsibilities, and our responsibilities include making sure that what we're buying is what we need. Um, it would be a nice customer service if they took them back and at least issued a credit for the next time you might need, need tiles um, but I can't tell you how this issue crops up with tiles n- 9 out of 10 again. it's always yeah. tiles um, so the, the answer is make very sure um, that you you buy just what you need because there's no automatic right of return because these products are not defective um, otherwise make sure that you interrogate the store's returns policy uh, around that so that you know what you're in for if you need to take back excess Um so if if they choose to take back something that's not defective, they get to make the rules yep. and introduce terms and conditions. And a handling fee is not uncommon. It's usually 10 or 15% as in this okay. case. So had you got home and found when you opened the box of tiles that they were cracked? That's a totally, totally different, different story. Totally different. Those it's are defective. defective. product. You, lo- yes. you have the right to take it back and ask for and you could No, never choice. mind take it back. Yeah. You could get them to pay. The, the Act says, the Consumer Protection Act says that the supplier is responsible for the cost of return. Ah, so you could even phone them to say, please come yes. and fetch them and refund me my yes, money. Yes, it might be a lot quicker to just them. go yeah. and take them back yourself and get the replacements there and then. But but legally, that's the position. You don't even have to pay if they, if, it's a, if it's a defect. Okay. So you have a lot of rights in the, in the case of a defective product within six months of purchase, but none, to, legally none, when the product's not. As we've said before, the confusion comes in that some stores do yes. offer the right of return of non-defective but it's not, goods. It's, but it's, it's a, it's a favor. favor. It's not it's an obligation. Service, yes. Okay. Wendy, we'll leave it there. Just uh, in closing, a reminder to our listeners about what to do if they want to raise a case with you. What's your favorite way to be contacted? Um, well, it, it comes to my inbox via various means. So the one would be just to email consumer at NOLA. That's spelled K-N-O-W-L-E-R dot C-O dot Z-A. The other is to go to Facebook. There's a, a click through to which comes to my inbox or my website. Um, got to think about this, Wendy NOLA. <laughs> Wait, hold on. <laughs> 
rookie.co.za. <laughs> no, rookie error. I never got my own website. It was hacked last week, incidentally. So people who sent me um, um, emails via that tab, um, I, I wouldn't have got. Everything's back up and running now. So um, that that is now, again, an option um, to contact me. Thank you so much. And as always, thanks for all the hard work you do on behalf of our listeners. We'll chat again next week, thanks Wednesday.